Welcome to Danish Policy. I'm Charlene. I'm Crispin. And this is our week in review. Danish Policy is a channel aimed at intelligent people when you discuss important issues facing life and society. How have you been, Crispin? I've been excellent. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's been a good couple of weeks. Uh, the Olympic Games have been on. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It's such a highlight. <laughs> yeah. And I was really pensive about it going in. I was like... Because there's no crowds. Yeah, no, no crowds, no opening ceremony. Everyone's wearing a mask. Like, I just thought, mm. why would they have the Olympic Games? It's just going to remind people of how depressing everything is. Mm. Uh, we don't need that right now. I was like, well, I guess, you know, the, the athletes obviously deserve to compete. They've mm. worked so hard. Uh, you know, Japan has a right to host the game. So I could kind of understand why it was going ahead, but I didn't go into it with any degree of enthusiasm. Mm -mm. Uh, but watching, actually watching the events, watching the competition, uh, it did give me the feels because it was like, well, uh, they, they were all very positive, really great atmosphere, even without like the crowds and so forth. Yeah. The performances, the, the athleticism was really, really great. And it just gave a, a taste of something wholesome where bringing mm. people together on the international stage, which is what the Olympic Games is all about. Uh, that was really positive. Yeah. Uh, so I've been very glad of the things that I have seen. Um, really tough competitions. Mm -hmm. And uh, Australia, of course, as I said in the video, doing really, really well. Mm -mm. Yeah, uh, it's just amazing. Like I remember, well, I don't usually watch sports. Okay, mm. so I'm just looking at these swimming. Like, why are these countries in the middle? Like in terms of like swimming laps and stuff. And like my family will chime in, like teach me about how the competition worked. <laughs> and then you just like go, 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 go. And <laughs> you just get so into it. And like yeah. everyone's around, and oh, it's amazing. And then yeah, and then they tell you like how old they are, and they're like, oh, this person's 18, 14, and you think to yourself. Mm, what was I doing <laughs> but no like it's absolutely like just amazing I'm just in awe the whole time just like how is this possible and it I do think it's been like such a highlight especially for those in Australia who are currently in lockdown mm. um or you know have lots of restrictions um where we are we're very fortunate but other places not so much and I think you know having some place where they can go to and you know it's on 24-hour roll uh to see just real achievement. Um, yeah, and again, countries coming together, you know, putting their politics, well, going back to that, like putting their politics aside. But really, yeah, showing true sportsmanship and, yeah. yeah. Well, if you want longevity in sport, uh, become an equestrian. Uh, oh, because, yeah. Because uh, the gold medalist, Australian there, was, I think, 62 years of age. Um, ah. So oldest Olympian, I think oldest Olympian ever, uh, like Olympian gold medalist ever. Yeah. Uh, and so that this, there is a massive age range. And then uh, Keegan something, the skateboarder who won the gold medal, which I'll talk about more, uh, he might be our youngest gold medalist ever, I would say. I don't know how old he is, but he's a kid. So uh, I Yeah, think, he's but, very young. So you see... You see really young winners in gymnastics and things like that. But I think Australia hasn't had a gold medalist that young mm. uh, in anything. Mm. Uh, that's, I think this year being the first year for skateboarding. And yeah. speaking of skateboarding, the, the things that I've really enjoyed is watching those athletes that are just so far beyond the competition. Right. Like, so we remember Us Usain Bolt in the, in the sprinting all those years ago. He would pull up before he hits the finish line because he's like so far ahead. He doesn't even need to race for it. He's just like chilling out. People would criticize him for for almost showing off by how fast he was beating everybody else. Yeah. Uh, and 
You don't make them feel bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it just it would just pull up at the end. It'd be like a hundred meter sprint, and you'd be ten meters ahead. He's like, oh, okay, I guess I can just walk the last few meters. Uh, wow. The, the, so so there was that. Uh, but uh, in the pole vaulting, mm -hmm. there was this Swedish guy who is world champion, world record holder. He just creamed the competition he was so much better than everybody else mm. and I, I much respect for the guy who got silver the american because he uh was he got like five personal bests in a row to keep with him so what happens is they raise the bar like everybody who can clear that height yeah. gets to the next round and they keep going up yeah and he kept scraping through like they would up oh. the bar and he would just graze it and it wouldn't fall off and he'd, he'd be like cheering because he would just make his best all-time height and the Swede would be clearing it by, you know, several feet. And, uh, and but still, the Swede was like raising his eyebrows that this guy managed to keep keep with him for a long, long way. But then in the end, there was just no way. Like he, yeah. was, he was a freak. Um, and uh, the skateboarding, like I just mentioned. Mm. So I always thought that um, Australia and skate, you see skateboarders around, but I always thought like, you know, skateboarding would be dominated by the United States or Canada mm. or a place like that. Well, this kid in skateboarding, first year that we've had it as Olympic sport, the the put it this way, uh, the silver medalist got a score of like 85 and the bronze, so guy from Brazil, a mm -hmm. uh, uh, kid from, from the US got a score of 84 mm. for the bronze, so really close, right? Gold medal, Australian kid, 95 point something like just obliterated the competition made skateboarding tricks and everything just look so easy flawlessly executing every mm. one of his maneuvers like around a very difficult track yeah. um so it looks so flawless that you have to see the slow motion video in order to figure out what he actually did yeah yeah it just it just, just looks like, like he's chilling down, about down. yeah it's just like he's just gone for a stroll but the funny thing is out there in the australian streets because you you know my uh, my video on you know, Australian like culture and emphasis mm -hmm. on athleticism. Mm -hmm. Well, skateboarders have always been kind of annoying for the average person on the street. Like you know, because they're out there, like kind of like cyclists. I'd yeah, say. But at least I mean, yes, a bit like cyclists. At least cyclists are going from A to B. They're using it as a mode of transport. Where skateboarders are just getting people's way, right? They're right the, yeah. People are walking along, and skateboarders are like tripping over and stacking everything and making yeah. noise and potentially damaging property and mm. breaking things. So people are kind of like, oh, okay, you know, like they just feel put up with it. Yeah, yeah. Well. The last little while, I go out there at the streets and there people are like, you know, skateboarding and they're just like, yeah, I'm, I'm training. I'm being a hero. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah. It's like, this is new respect. It's like, what the hell is skateboarding doing at the Olympics? And now it's like, skateboarding is a quintessentially the primary Olympic sport. And, everyone, <laughs> <laughs> and skateboarders out there are contributing to our national pride. So it's amazing. I actually remember the last time something like that happened. Mm. Uh was wasn't to do a sport it was with the game of thrones television series mm. so peter dinklage plays Tyrion lannister and peter dinklage of course is a dwarf as the character is uh, and prior to Tyrion coming along uh, as a character people who had like parents who had a kid and they're just like told that their babies have dwarfism or something like that would be like they'd, they'd be heartbroken they'd be like Mm. oh no my kid has this big disability all right we're just gonna have to live with it and see what we can do and you know love them anyway blah 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 mm. uh, work through it so it's sort of seen as a crisis whereas during those game of thrones years where Tyrion lannister was the most popular character in the entire series played 
to perfection by Peter Dinklage. He single-handedly transformed everyone's view of dwarfism. Everyone's like, oh, I've got a dwarf, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I've got my own Tyrion, um, you know, uh, suck it, Tywin. Um, so, uh, like, it's amazing how these sorts of, like, figures can transform attitudes. And, and uh, certainly mm. the skateboarding in Australia has, I think, changed attitude a lot. Um, yeah, I do agree. Because if you see a skateboard, you're like, okay, wow. Like, you go, you know how you see, like, um, runners on the road, like, doing, like, tra- obviously training. You're yeah, like, parkour. go, go, go. Like, marathon <laughs> yeah. runs. You're like, you see skateboarders, like, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah. It's all happened in the last few weeks. So, so cr- cultural transformation towards skateboarding uh, has been has been the way. Uh, mm-hmm. But no, Olympics has been good. I, it's been a good distraction. It reminds people mm-hmm. that uh, people have a lot more similarities and they have differences and, and they bring bring together. And the importance of the Olympic Games. My one criticism of it is that this has been the first year where political protests have been permitted. So we've seen. You know, people waving their little banners and and people on the podium kind of, you know, showing little things. I, I don't really like that. I think that the Olympic Games is that one escape from politics where people mm. can come together and put aside all their political differences and baggage and personal mm. campaigns and views just for two weeks where we can celebrate sport and sport and competition. Injecting mm. politics into it is dangerous. And, and people, it's also short-sighted because, like, let's say uh, you have... You know the the gay um, you know, marathon runner who's who's there with his gay pride flag at the end celebrating gay rights. You know, oh, okay, that's fine and whatever. Um, but if you allow that, then you also have to allow you know, you know the the Eastern European who yeah. burns a gay pride flag, you know, in protest for for gay you know perversions and so forth. Like you have to allow that stuff because people are protesting on the basis of their own political campaign. Mm. Uh, it's not like um, you know, and other parts of, of human endeavor where they're complying with a specific code where certain things are allowed but not others. Mm-hmm. Um, so people have to be mindful of that. Uh, we don't want it to be dominated by politics. Um, and that's, uh, you know, the thing that I lament. We, 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 I'm hopeful that future Olympics will strip that back out because I don't think that adds anything to, no. to the game. Um, even if the causes are worthy or things that you personally support, there are mm. other times and places for it. This is mm. a this is I agree. But because it, there is a it's not just about like the fact that it takes away from the sport. It it undermines what the Olympic Games actually represents. It's that um, moment where no matter who you are, where you're from, even if your countries are in dire conflict, mm. you can share a moment of humanity on the sporting arena. Like something yeah. can happen and people can show their own empathy and feeling and, and mm. compassion. Uh, and if you inject political campaigns in that, you actually make it personal, and that's not that's not what mm. the Olympics is designed for. It actually it actually does make it a bit pointless if you make it a political enterprise. Yeah, I do um, agree, and it is like like that's the thing I love about the Olympics. You just hear about all these very very small countries that you don't really see like mm. reported in the news, right? And like there's like two people representing the country, but when you when I saw the opening ceremony, they have, they have the biggest smile on their face and like we are here to represent our country and like so proud, you know. And it's just like I don't know, it's like that moment. I don't care about you know all. I mean, obviously it's important to know be knowledgeable about these things, but it's it's not the point of the Olympics. The point of Olympics, like, yeah, we're all here together, binded by one thing, which is sport. 
that is non-political mm. um and also like just gives the opportunity for people to shine despite their backgrounds like you're not held by you know countries that are sitting but countries are very very poor and mm. you can kind of see the disparity of it but they're still winning gold <laughs> like yeah. and Absolutely. that's just incredibly inspiring <laughs> um yeah oh yeah well it blows it blows apart the whole idea that there's nothing genetic in sport like so west africans will always win the 100 meter sprint oh, yeah <laughs> and east africans will always win the long distance marathons like that's just because of of human evolution like <laughs> it's just, yes. and that's just a fact you know uh but obviously a lot of other things go into it as well as my video talked about um in the case of australia yeah um, and i always thought right Okay, like I'm not a great swimmer, like, but I, like, at least I know how not to drown like, yeah. in, in, the, in the swimming pool. Um, yeah, and I, I do agree with that video that you did about Australia, how Australia and New Zealand can win so much gold despite us having such a small population. But, like, I think the biggest thing is the investment into sport. Like, I feel like other countries have millions and millions of people, I don't know, Indonesia or something place they just don't invest in sports so they can't you know well indonesia is a special case as well because you've got a hundred like so the population in indonesia is what 250 million uh half of those more than half are on jakarta one little island about a third the size of tasmania right so there just isn't any like like that to, to have a a football field right <laughs> would be takes up an enormous amount of their space okay Whereas in Australia, we have a um, millions and millions of, of square kilometres <laughs> that have nobody in it, okay? Mm. So land is not a premium and going out there and exploring and, and exercising is not in any way dangerous. You might be like in, in Jakarta and uh, yeah. there's pollution everywhere and you're cramped with your traffic and everything. It's not like when you see those runners in the street you were talking about, you can run down a main street of the CBD in any Australian capital city and uh, maybe like, you know, five or six in the afternoon when everyone's leaving work, it'll be a bit chockers. But but most of the time, runners could do that with very little interruption, right? They'll see mm. people in the street easily run around them. Whereas yeah. uh, in, in, you know, Jakarta, yeah. how are you going to do that? Like, how, how are you going to mm. run in the street and not, like, you know, knock someone over? Yeah. So there, there is that physical opportunity um, that's a big factor at play. Uh, so, you, I mean, I'm sure you're right that, that there isn't the same investment. But the same also investment. Just, just not like, the same, there's not the same outdoor kind of. Yeah, no, I agree. Mm. Definitely, I agree. Definitely where you, where you come from is a, a huge thing is wealth, honestly. The more wealthy the country is, more likely they can invest in the Olympics mm. because they're not having to invest in poverty. <laughs> like, you know, uplift people in poverty. It's like, so, um, that's yeah. That's true. Mind you, that's, as, as you say, some of the poorest countries in the world win. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But again, there there's exceptions. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I guess, I don't know if there's anything else really. I don't know, if you could be very good at, like, one Olympic sport, like, which one would it be? Like, Well, that's a great question. So... I mean, I, I have seen a lot of interesting sports. I saw this uh, one uh, sort of young Russian right. who won a gold medal and she uh, is a Witcher fan. So she had her like Witcher medallion around her waist and uh, she was young. She was probably, I don't know, 
20 odd. And uh, she was firing like a, a 30 centimeter pistol and she just had the most relaxed pose. I'll see if I can get the photo, but it's, um, yeah, that, so maybe shooting, but oh, no, okay. no, I mean, I, I think if chess was an Olympic sport, I'd like to win chess. Like winning a chess gold medal would be pretty amazing. Um, not likely to happen, of course, but let's say if, if, if I could win a gold medal, it'd probably be in that sport. Um, of the actual like physical sport, <laughs> well, I think chess was an Olympic sport. Um, is it in, in some years? Yeah, yeah, it is a sport, right? Like, it's a sport, but it's not like um... uh, yeah, no. I, I, I'll, but let's let's restrict it to the sports that we saw. Like, let's say yeah. the sports that were there. Um, I think probably the hundred meter sprint, simply because it makes you the most famous. I think that that's like. Mm. Uh, Whoever is the fastest runner in the world mm. gets a certain degree of notoriety that um, others sports don't get. Like, let's say you win the the hammer throw, right? Well, mm. name the ha name any hammer throw gold medalist off the top of your head. Like, unless, no you're, unless you're in the actual field, yeah, you'd have no idea. Um, it's true. Yeah, you, I was about to say. Yeah, I want to do like hurdles because <laughs> that just looks so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, in terms of the most difficult, that's another interesting question. What would be the hardest sport? Um, I think pole vaulting looks precarious, like you're grabbing a pole and you're trying to fly in the air. That's kind of like that must be really hazardous. Mm. Um, the the rock climbing, like the the indoor climbing, that looks difficult. Um, I I mean, I watched the rhythm the rhythmic artistic gymnastics, I think oh, they yeah, called gymnastics. it now. That is so hard. Like they get like a ball or like a hoop and then, um, or ribbon. And then they have to just like, just play with that and like throw in the air, do twists and turns and catch it and roll it across their body. Like, I was like, wow. <laughs> like, they may look very easy. Like it's a part of their body. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that that. I think, yeah, I agree. I That's think gymnastics so is probably the hardest. I think yeah, so too. Yeah. Like I feel you, you have to be built. I mean, like, I think for every sport, you can't have to build for it, but gymnastics particularly mm. from a young age. Um, yeah, it's not something you can just easily... I can't say that. I don't do that much sport. <laughs> it's probably all hard, <laughs> like skateboarding. Mm. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. All right. And then you also talked about this week is um, Belarus. Mm. And we had a Olympian that was actually um, asked to be sent home. To Belarus. Uh, what was her name again? Kristina uh, <laughs> Tinsimanovskaya. Sorry for butchering it. But, yes, so she um, is a sprinter, I think. She's a sprinter, but then she was thrown into the relay um, and, like, a, a couple days because uh, they had failed uh, to do enough doping tests or something for the team. Yeah. So they were trying to fill it in. And I think she criticised, saying that she wasn't enough time uh, from the coach. Mm. And then... I guess they were taken back because being criticized publicly online is never a good thing. Um, and when she was about to go home, um, her grandmother called her and said, you can't come back. It's dangerous here. Yeah, yeah. And then she took um, uh, humanitarian, what's it called? Visa. Visa, yes, to Poland. Mm. It's crazy. It's actually crazy just how I feel like all this news from Belarus is just, yeah, like just spiraling. And I don't know, like 
Mm. What one thing that really stood out in that video actually is all this like this um this proud Slavic tradition. Like, where does that come from? Like, was that? Well, yeah. Okay. So, so this that video was a kind of a slowly slightly different tone in the sense that yes, I summarized all of the things in it, and I and we you know we mentioned the the athlete. We shouldn't also forget about Vitaly um, uh, Shishov who was found dead, the opposition figure. Uh, and we don't know what, like he, he was found hanging. We don't know exactly what happened to him, but but one can be suspicious. Uh, the it was a different tone because we can criticize individuals and countries and say, look, these are the people responsible. But then there are innocents who aren't involved in all of the politics and uh, history and things like uh, like Christina, who's this who who's yeah. said, look, I'm not. Political. I'm just a sports person. I don't yeah. know anything about politics. And she or- wants to come back to Belarus. So I'm, 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 that's why I'm just like, there's obviously something there. Like people are very proud to be part of Belarus and, they, yeah. and their culture. And I, I guess like I'm just trying to untwine like, you know, yes. more, so, more about it. So the reason, and so I was going to, sorry, I know, I know what you're asking. And, I'm, and, and the reason I'm giving this sort of preamble right. is because uh, it's important to say that, that when we look at okay right and wrong in international relations mm. um, there's right there's wrong and then there's the practical okay and the pragmatic and uh, when you've got these non-political figures being affected mm. right who say i just want my people to not live in fear that means we need to bring all the people into the tent okay right and so to answer your question there is a slavic identity I know a lot of people who still identify as Soviet, even though they're part of the former Soviet republics, right? Mm-hmm. And I would say that Slavic tradition comes from Constantinople. So um, Orthodox Christianity, Orthodox Church, it's a beautiful religion, right? The, the mosaics, the uh, incense, the, the chantings, mm-hmm. the music, the, the um, iconography, absolutely stunning and is a unique art tradition as well uh, and Constantinople uh, was the capital of Byzantium mm-hmm. Byzantium was the inheritor of the Roman Empire so uh, in the late um, classical period the Western Roman Empire collapses uh, yeah. under the weight of the Goths and the Vandals and the Eastern Roman Empire continues on right so when we talk about the fall of rome we're only talking about the western half the eastern roman empire was still there yeah. uh, and survived uh, you know all of the vicissitudes of of barbarian invasion and and the you know fight against the sassanid persians and and so forth mm. um and by the kind of early middle ages sort of um sixth to ninth century a.d was the greatest power in the world, right? The, the Byzant was the uh, reserve currency, much like the US dollar is today. Yeah. You had the reconquest of Justinian, uh, which, which saw North Africa and Egypt and, and Italy brought back into the imperial fold, you know, at least briefly. Um, so Byzantium was the, the main power of the world. And then you had the religious split between mm-hmm. Rome and uh, the East, and that was based around uh, a few things, but uh, ultimately Charlemagne of France, of Francia, um, became the kind of emperor, if you like, uh, uh, charged with protection of Rome, um, and the Byzantines no longer had that role. Uh, and then the 
Byzantine saw the, the patriarch of Constantinople and the emperor of, of Byzantium as the leaders of the church, and so they disagreed with the Pope. So there was that great schism that happened, and they went in different uh, physical and then ultimately theological directions. And then what happened was that uh, the Viking Age was happening at the same time. So you had the Viking invasions famously of England. Right. You had the Viking invasions of Normandy. So it's where we get the Normans. Uh, and it's the uh, Viking expansion into other parts of the world, including mm -hmm. Russia. The mm -hmm. word Russia is from the word Rus, right? Mm -hmm. And the Rus are Scandinavians, okay? The Kievan Rus, the Rus of Novgorod, right? Uh, and now, if we think of Kievan Rus, modern day Kiev. I know, Nov I was like, is that a food? <laughs> Nov Novgorod, right? Which is uh, the capital of the old kingdom of Novgorod outside of uh, modern day St. Petersburg, mm -hmm. uh, a couple of hours away, actually. Uh, and uh, the. So, sorry, are you, there's three groups. Are you tell me three groups. Yes. Well, well, they're all the same peoples, right? They, 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 they settle different lands, okay? Right. But they're Scandinavian peoples, uh -huh. um, and uh, they they settle different lands. But then there are the Slavs, mm -hmm. right? Which is sort of Slavic migrations. The word Slav actually means slave, right? And these were um, uh, now they weren't. Or slaves, they were just called that mm -hmm. by the Ottoman Turks and people like that who would buy them because they were extraordinarily beautiful. And and the uh, the Golden Horde, when the Mongols invaded in the in the twelve hundreds, they conquered much of Russia mm -hmm. and and so forth. And so um, they, the Slavic peoples became prized um, chattel, if you like, in the the um, golden horde slave trade and things like that and then of course they they fought for their independence and won and became great civilizations in their own right so obviously i'm skipping over the centuries of, of, of story here but uh that the key moment is when uh in the 900s a.d uh, basil emperor basil of byzantium mm -hmm. he uh his daughter i think it was um he sends off to be married to vladimir of kiev okay now she bitterly protested this at the time because yeah. she didn't want to be like at the time the, the the Byzantium was the center of learning, culture, languages, all of the rest, research, scholarship, um, mm. and to be sent off to some barbarian kingdom in some ice-filled part of the of, of the world wasn't her idea of a good time. But yeah. but she, I think she was one over in the end. She she grew to, to to really care about Vlad, and one of the things that Vlad did was he did two, a couple of big things. One. He sent 6,000 personal bodyguards to Basil of Emperor, and which is they were highly valued warriors. So these were tall Norsemen with big double handed battle axes, mm. um, and they were quite unique, uh, you know, relative to the Mediterraneans who are, you know, darker skinned and so forth. You had these tall, blonde hair, blue eyes figures that were kind of unusual. Um, and that formed what became the Varangian Guard, famous. Uh, elite battle group of the Byzantium army, and we can do a whole video on that. Mm -hmm. uh, and the uh, and the second thing it is would convert to um, uh, Orthodox Christianity. Mm. And there's a, a wonderful little anecdote behind that, where uh, there was he was trying to work out. He knew that they had to abandon their pagan gods, right? He wanted to convert to one of the faiths. Mm -hmm. And he's like, but I don't know which one. And he, he wanted to convert for political reasons. He wanted to get the advantages that came from political membership mm -hmm. of the different faith. Yeah. And there were three big ones that he was choosing from. He uh, 
He wanted to know about the Roman tradition, the Roman Christianity, uh, the Orthodox Christianity of Byzantium, mm -hmm. and the Islam of the East. He also apparently even sent um, envoys to uh, Jerusalem to find out about Judaism, just to get a better understanding. Yeah. And uh, they all came back, and they all reported different things that they loved about what they had seen. But when uh, the Orthodox people came back, they, they said, um, or the envoys to, to Orthodox mm. Christianity came back and they said, look, Byzantium is heaven on earth. Like we can't even begin to describe the beauty of what we've just seen. So it's like, okay, well, that seems to be the one I go for. And then marry my daughter. <laughs> yeah, and then he married into the royal family. And so that created that link that existed and, and they became loyal allies okay. thereafter. Now, this is very interesting because... Um, until that time, there had been many Viking raids, like we would see in England, mm -hmm. many Viking raids on Byzantium from the Kievan Rus, right? Mm. Um, so this put an end to all of that. Yeah. Now, unlike um, uh, the UK, which which the the Viking invasions shaped that entire world, um, the the Byzantines managed to fight the the, the Vikings quite easily, not like with, with significant. Um, casualties and hardship there was all these uh battles with the kievan rus but there was the greek fire which was the famous uh secret weapon of byzantium which uh, is so secret in fact that the formula has been lost to history uh but sorry secret what it was a secret weapon it was essentially a um, substance that could burn on water uh so it would, be, it would be shot out of Greek ships uh -huh. or thrown from little canisters and it would ignite in the open sea, right? right. And that obliterated medieval ships, right? right so yeah. when you think of the, the Viking longboat sailing up the river, mm. right? Well, if it's all ignited because it sails into like, you know, a petroleum fire or something, uh, well, that's not going to go well for them. So, yeah. um, so they were, were annihilated by the Byzantine navy. Mm. Um, but there were some two major invasions of, of uh, Byzantium by the Kievan Rus prior to this conversion. Uh, anyway, so the um, Vlad becomes Orthodox Christian, mm -hmm. and right through the rest of the thousand-year history of Russia, um, they were all Orthodox Christians, and they adopted Orthodox traditions, and they uh, turned to Constantinople for guidance in spiritual matters mm. and when constantinople fell in 1453 the russians assumed or claimed the right to uh the heritage of that tradition right so mm. the, the czar means caesar in um russian mm. a, a throwback to the roman tradition and the roman imperial family laid claim often to um, Constantinople. So to revive the Byzantine Empire was one of their long-standing dreams. And one of the things that drove the centuries-long animosity between Russia and Turkey, mm. um, so the Crimean War, uh, many wars before that were fought, you know, in large part because of the idea that Russia was there to protect all of the Slavic peoples, right? Yeah. So um, the peoples of the Balkans, uh, you know, Serbia, Croatia, um, the uh, even the Greeks um, and uh, Macedonia, like all of these, all, not, not the Greeks are Slavs, but you know that that Orthodox tradition. Mm. Um, and so Russia has always f felt that kind of paternalistic role, and the Belarusians consider themselves Slavs of those Slavic traditions. I see. Yeah. So the Slavs, and they are their own 
people. Like the Slavic, I mean, religion is one big thing, but yeah. a lot of the pagan uh, traditions, the way they name their children, the reasons for that, um, their, their personal festivals, the Maslenitsa, like all, all of this is very pagan Slavic. Mm. And then um, there's some shared kind yeah. of uh, traditions as well. So some things they share with the Poles, which are also partly Slavic. Uh -huh. um, so obviously Poland and Russia aren't the best of friends, but they have certain cultural traditions. So when we talk about the Witcher, like I mentioned with the the Olympian, mm -hmm. right? That's a Slavic myth, you know, with the the witches and then the, the you know the um, Baba Yaga uh, and the various sort of of um, Russian pagan myths that that mm. are shared across the Slavic Slavic landscape. So uh, a lot of um, a lot of pan Eastern European Balkan kind of identity, religious, mm. cultural, historical. Um, was there any point that Belarus was anywhere like near Lithuania and? Yeah, so so for centuries. Belarus was part of the, the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth. So, so mm. the Poles and the Lithuanians look at Belarus and they go, these are our, our compatriots. These were part of our same yeah. you know, great civilization. The Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth stretched from the uh the Baltic Sea down to the Black Sea. Like, and so Belarus was part of that. Uh and so the but the thing about the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth was multi-ethnic. Like, in fact, um, the Poles were the most populous, of course. Lithuanians made up about ten percent, but even the Ruthenians made up like twenty percent. So there were there were multiple ethnicities that um, uh, comprised the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth. It wasn't sort of the same linguistic cultural tradition. And in fact, mm -hmm. um, one of the things about the the video that I need to make on the next the next installment of Lithuanian history is, is picking all that apart because so much of people adopted Polish tradition and so much people adopted Lithuanian tradition. Um, so yeah, the, the the they see Belarus in that context, but the Belarusians themselves don't see themselves don't. as like when, when when they ask you know what's your heritage, they don't say the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth. They say um, you know our Slavic roots. Yeah. Mm. Now, now it's not to say that they don't have similarities. I mean, they're obviously um, in great proximity. They share a border. Uh, they've been through a lot of the same things. Obviously, mm. climate, you know, history. There's a, there's a lot of things that is that are tied up together. Yeah, yeah. But uh, they don't see themselves as the, as the same peoples. Yeah, mm. and I guess from that video, you're kind of leaning towards the idea that you know they can coexist like it's not i don't know like they feel like there is so much pressure to like you know free belarus and like change them from russia to more of a western ideal and i guess that's not going to happen <laughs> like, well it, it won't happen in that way and i want to kind of caveat this because i do think the democracy freedom of expression freedom of association rule of law mm. these are not only desirable but possible for, for most countries right yeah where i think it needs to be careful is lithuania latvia estonia poland they're very anti-russia yeah for good reason they were occupied for an unacceptable period of time and uh, they've got a lot of historical grievance. They're also beacons of liberty. And we've talked about on this channel how you know, Lithuania will be the ones actually walking the walk when it comes to dealing with China's authoritarian communist regime and things like that. So no, you do not share our values. We are not going to sell ourselves out 
even if others do. Mm. So standing up for rights and things like that are these things that these countries do. And there's nothing, and, and they're obviously protecting the the Belarusian opposition and dissidents who have escaped from Belarus and set up a government in exile in, in Vilnius. Yeah. So th- th- these are all good things. Okay. Mm. What we need to do from a pragmatic point of view is find a way forward that doesn't throw sand in the eyes of the Russians unnecessarily. Because it's one thing for Russia to see non-Slavic people pull away and join something else. They might lament the fall of the Soviet Union and they might think that you know having NATO 150 kilometers from St. Petersburg is a threat to their security. So you know Estonia yeah. being part of NATO is a real um, thorn in the in their side of the Russians. They might feel that they might sort of observe it that way from a geostrategic point of view, but they don't have the same emotional investment, right? Uh, what happened in Ukraine, Mm-hmm. However, you apportion the blame and everything like that, it's it's certainly true that the Russians see the Ukrainians as their people, yeah. right? Uh, and they see the Belarusians as their people. It's kind of like the way the Chinese view Taiwan, right? Yeah. Okay. We might like Taiwan as like an independent democracy and support that, and that is a good thing. But the Chinese view it differently, okay? And so, what we need to do with the Belarusians, I think, is Make it more like Taiwan in a political sense, i.e. democracy, free and fair elections, human rights, but politically and culturally mm-hmm. not threaten Russia like it would be Lithuania or, or, yeah, or Poland, I right? Agree. So say, look, okay. Belarus is not going to join NATO. It's not going to join the EU. It'll still have close ties to Russia. We just want to help the Belarusian people. Mm. And through that, we might even be able to build a bit of trust on both sides. Like if mm. if Russia goes, okay, we are not going to strangle every bit of opposition to Lukashenko that we can find. We're going to allow this transition to occur. In exchange, um, the you know we want to make sure that Russian interests are still preserved and that the Belarusian government is still supportive of us and yeah. that we can work together. Now that, that that's what's the biggest risk that could happen. The, the biggest the biggest risk is that uh, Belarus falls apart, Lukashenko loses power in a revolution. Um, now the, these are fine bits, but the, this is this is a sequence of events. Yeah. Lukashenko loses uh, power in a revolution. The uh, Western government succeed in installing who they see as the legitimate leader, i.e. Mm. Um, uh, Opposition? Uh, Vietnam, Tychonovskaya yeah. is probably the most obvious choice. Uh, and the Russian military and the Russian government see this as an unacceptable mm. overthrow um, as opposed to democratic reform. Uh, and that uh, Vietnam is not you know, the free and fair choice of the Belarusian people, but in fact a Western puppet who's being funded mm. and, and supported by you know, a NATO, uh, EU, American. I get it now. Polarity. The tours, yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, Russia invades Belarus, right, and starts a war. And that is not at all beyond the realms of, of possibility. Like this, this could easily end in Russia invades Belarus. Mm. Um, and would the people themselves also not agree to it? Well, this is the thing. There'll be people on both sides. Yeah. The younger people will 
by and large see the oppression and devastation being wrought by by Russia mm-hmm. and uh, the Poles and the Lithuanians and stuff will do everything they can to help the pro-democratic forces because that's who they are and that's yeah, what they yeah. believe. Um, and so Belarus will be torn apart. Uh, that's, mm. the, that's the result. And what I think is rather than civil war, where major powers from both sides get dragged into it, mm-hmm. uh, we should talk about a post-Lukashenko future where there's a transition of him out of power and his family uh, and free and fair elections sees an Indigenous person from Belarus take the reins, but with Russia being part of that process so they don't feel undue anxiety that this is some Western plot to to overthrow uh, any Russian influence in Belarus. Um and I, and I say this not because of it's right or wrong, just because I think that this is the, the, the least harmful way forward that is practical and possible. Mm. Uh, so, you know, obviously in an ideal world, I would like, you know, perfect democracy, perfect free and fair elections, no foreign interference in Belarus at all. Belarusian people just decide for themselves how things are going to go. Uh, and no one else has any any say. Like the Russians totally respect whatever Belarus decides, yeah. even if they want to join NATO, even if they want to join EU. Uh, that's just not realistic. Yeah, like, not going to happen. <laughs> no, no. And 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 while that is the case, um, we have to respect yeah. that that just those realities um, mm. and and work with them. If we try too hard to 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 grandstand and moralize, then we will end up with another Ukraine and. And, mm. and for all of the, I mean, you go, yes, um, you know, a lot of what Russia has done in Ukraine has is, is been pretty sour. I, I still feel raw about the MH17 disaster where, where rebels shot down an airline, killed 33 Australians. Mm. Uh, there is, I, you know, there, there's some criticism there. But if we could go back in time to when this all began and do things differently in Ukraine, we absolutely would have. Um, to avoid this civil conflict Um, because, yeah, we have reached the worst possible outcome. Even if we are ethically right, we have become, um, you know, outwardly failed. And and, and I think in international relations, and this gets more philosophical, there is moral failing in strategic ineptitude, right? Um, I, I think about this in terms of Libya. All these people in in the pre-Libya intervention were saying we should go in and stop Gaddafi from massacring his own people because he's going to commit an act of genocide. There was no real evidence for him besides some very obtuse rhetoric, right? Um, Mm. There was a civil war between two armed groups. And if you then overthrow a government, you're responsible for the aftermath, right? And what's happened in Libya is a catastrophe. We have Islamist governments intersectional warlord fighting, open slave markets, everything is that Libya now is a failed state. And that is, that's our fault, right? Mm. So if we do things in Belarus, even for the right reasons, unless we think through the strategic implications, what will happen if we do A, how will X respond? Mm-hmm. Um, if we haven't got plans in place for that, we, things can go wrong. Things are impossible. But if we haven't thought through the entire life cycle of what we're trying to achieve, yeah. uh, then we have a moral failing as well as an intellectual one. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I need to sit on that for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a comfortable thing. It's it, <laughs> International relations is moral ambiguity. Um, it is. 
is. It is. Like, oh. and it's like, how do you make the right decision? But I'm not sure. Move mm. cautiously and <laughs> Yeah. And then personally, on a, on a very human Crispin level, I try to play to the extent that I can as, you know, just a random guy, um, that role, you know, I, I have a great love and respect for Lithuanian culture and history, as everyone knows, no doubt. I also have deep respect for Slavic traditions and cultural history. I'm a huge Byzantine history fan. Mm. Yeah, that's why I can just rattle all this Clearly. stuff Clearly. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and Russia has achieved great things in the world. You know, incredible yeah. music, literature, you know, they've reached the stars. Um, so the, because I, I don't, I'm not a hater, I can appreciate those things that are unique with all the actors involved. Mm-hmm. And I can also understand their grievances without personally as an Australian being involved in it. Mm. I can focus on the practical a bit. Whereas if you if you're someone whose family has been, you know, locked up in a political prison for 25 years and you've been dealing with the trauma ever since I got out, like you know, your feelings towards the other side are gonna be colored by that fact. Let's wrap it up. Mm-hmm. We watched a movie and our last movie. Your yep. favorite movie. Um what was it called again? <laughs> Oh, Leon, Leon. So, Leon. So it's it's one of my favorite movies. It's it's, it's not. Um, I don't know if it's my all time favorite, but from the time period we're looking at, yeah, yeah, 90s, just ninety. So uh, yeah. it, it was up there as I think probably the most sophisticated film. Mm. Um, of course, it's a film you couldn't make today because there is no way. <laughs> like, it really pushes the limits of what's acceptable for cinema. Mm. But it was done in, a, in an adult way, in a respectful way, mm. um, which, you know, deals with the complexity of, of trauma, um, which I quite like. Uh, the film is about a hitman. It's called Leon, who's a hitman. He's a, he's a kind of a, like, he's very good at what he does, mm. but he's a little bit slow. He can't read and write. He has no family in New York City except for the guy who hired him. He watches old films at the cinema by himself, right? Mm-hmm. He has no friends. His best friend is a, is a pot plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he lives his life in this total isolation where all he does is, is go from place to place and, and carry out hits. Yeah. Then there is Matilda, who is uh, Natalie Portman, her first film is like a little girl. Um, her family is, is killed by corrupt drug enforcement agency officers and she her life is saved by him and and the story is kind of that there's a parallel between him and her and their developing kind of friendship and relationship and then um gary oldman is the bad guy best bad guy ever mm. um and he plays the the drug addicted fiendish kind of um over the top beethoven loving um dea criminal and some of the most intense scenes you know where Natalie Portman, Matilda has a gun to her own head to manipulate Leon into letting her have her, you know, like letting her stay with him. Yeah, and uh, uh, just the the emotional driven nature of the of the trauma, how her family was lost, how she's extremely dramatic. So she's clearly a kid, but mm. with all of these adult things that have happened to her, and it's they they treat all of these things in a respectful and believable way. Now, of course, it's a film that you couldn't make today because uh, of the certain inappropriate themes of the film. And uh, and certainly I can see that problem, mm. but it's dealt with in a way that 
has a complexity that you don't get in cinema today. So, for example, um, if you were like if you made this in the internet age with social media and so on, like this film would be cancelled before anyone had ever seen it. I mean, it was banned in Australia, wasn't it? <laughs> well, I think I think it was. Um, I don't know. I don't think it was ever banned, but it was it was restricted in terms of its cut. Uh, but that, I don't think that lasted long. I think that got through through the census pretty quick. Um, nothing in the film, like like when you talk about this sort of theme, yeah, it because it's really it's really precarious, right? Nothing terrible happens in the film. Yeah, right? I agree. Okay. So it's not like it crosses any great boundaries, and in fact, um, all of this is driven by her, right? Because of her trauma. Mm. Uh, and his slowness right so it's not like mm. there's any grooming or anything going on right but there is a um a inference that she is interested in him in a romantic way and she's a little mm. girl and he's a full-grown man um nothing happens you know they, they like it, it doesn't happen that way and you can see that it's all driven by mm. the trauma mm. you still couldn't deal with these themes in film today because people would get on their social things but yeah. if you watch it in context of the film it all makes sense it does yeah uh, and it's not like you, what you feel for the characters is a degree of of heartbreak right not not like oh my god this is all bad it's like oh my god this is really sad it's sad and um, then conflicting <laughs> yeah well because it it's conflicting morally conflicting <laughs> I don't. The thing is, it's, it's morally conflicting because we have strong morals about this stuff. Yeah, understandably, right? And and uh, if the I don't know if the bigger live video will have got up by then, but you know I have very strong views on this as well. Um, there is like it, it's morally conflicting because of that, um, because this is portrayed in a way that is entirely believable and where there's no villains yeah. involved. That's why it's conflicting because it, it, we have this black and white view of relationships, appropriately so, mm-hmm. um, and then this situation, which is like a weird exception. It's not an exception in that a relationship between the two would ever be acceptable. They that the, the everybody knows that's yeah. not the case. It's that the fact that it came up as a possibility mm. was the context of extreme trauma and that trauma being mm. dealt with in an appropriate way. So it's it's the difference between something does happen mm. and something should happen. We all know that something shouldn't happen, right? Yeah. The fact that it, is, that it does happen and are there always villains? And and this is the question that's really complex and where the filmmaker confronts us. Mm. Um, so the thing that I like about this is this discomfort, okay? Because the, the, the filmmaker, Luc Besson, he's a French filmmaker with really clever artistic ideas. And he's like, let me put you in a very uncomfortable space because it does challenge the way our intuition is about these things. Yeah. And it does throw us into a situation where you just you just want to hate on the villain, right? You just oh, want to be absolutely. Like, you, just, you just want to go, all right, that's the person responsible for this totally inappropriate like relationship, blah, 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 um, and make that emotionally easy. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't do that. He's like, these are people who don't know any better, right? Mm. Even in, I remember that one scene when she... She sees, you know, the, the bad guys at the apartment 
and she starts crying with the with her groceries and then walks towards the guy the Leon's door and just starts knocking. He's like, please let me in. Like mm. he was conflicted in then in that situation. He's like, I don't know you. Yeah. Kinda, you know, he was and then you could tell just that framing of him, his reluctance made you feel the character, oh like he actually doesn't understand either. Like and yeah, he's he's not he doesn't have bad intentions. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. You see the tragedy of him and then Late in the film, that tragedy is better explained. Mm. Uh, that yeah, he doesn't he doesn't know what to do, um, and so and then of course the action is excellent. Uh, yeah. The the way they like the the building in the climax is surrounded by hundreds of officers, and the way <laughs> they deal with that like it's really quite intense. Uh, and then the acting is just something out of this world. There's no surprise that that Natalie Portman went off to become a, a mm. great a actress uh yeah so it's it's one of those films that isn't talked about much on the internet these days because people you realize, can't talk about it without watching it <laughs> well it's not just that it's it's the fact that it is a very like there are dark themes in it yeah um and no one wants to talk about a film with such kind of really confronting mm. subject matters mm. um in the internet age like people just don't want to go there understandably mm. uh, understandably but i think in terms of artwork it's really destructive because we need great filmmakers great storytellers to, to confront us with things that make us feel uncomfortable not because they want to it, it, like make grotesque kind of porn right they, they want it because they want us to understand more about the human condition and the yeah. human soul um, and this film does walks that line perfectly. It deliberately makes us feel uncomfortable. And it's funny, when I was a kid, it was when I first watched it. I was probably the same age as Natalie Portman, roughly, and um, maybe maybe even a bit younger. And uh, I watched it, and I didn't really get the themes, right? I was a kid, and I was just like, oh, yeah, action film, and little girl becomes hitman. That sounds great, right? I didn't really get the 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 context of the relationship that was developing there and then as an adult obviously with my paternal instincts and all that you know some of my age um very different mentality mm. right and so i can see all the things that i missed as a kid and the fact that 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 has like i i have a different feeling towards it like i have a much greater discomfort as an adult than obviously i did back then mm. um that's really reassuring to me. It, it reminds me that, like, yes, I do have these ethics and I do have these belief systems and, <laughs> and, 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 I, and I do have strong views on this subject, but also I have a an intellectual sophistication to be able to still appreciate this work of art as art, not as as something that is, um, is dark. The fact that I feel uncomfortable mm. and the fact that you will feel uncomfortable as well when you watch it. Great yeah. film, though. Great movie. Um I think is great. I think I think that's what good art should be. Should mm. that's the that's the domain of art. I think so, right? Like art is meant to do like all three things. It's meant or it's meant to confirm, like confirm and validate some of your beliefs, perhaps. Then also, uh, and then change and challenge them. Actually, mm. that that they have to do all three things to be good art. <laughs> yeah. Um, and unfortunately, I feel like nowadays they've only really gone to the, validate your beliefs, so you can give us more money. <laughs> And not really the other two. <laughs> like, well, in fact, it's worse than that because it's gone to pandering. Oh, so, yes, pandering, yes. 
so you know the diversity gods like the 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 strong female character that can do no wrong like when we think of the strong female characters in the 90s sarah connor from terminator Mm. 2 milan like i talked about last time um these are are characters that are not mary sue's they go through trial and struggle Mm. and traumas and difficulties and overcome uh you know changes and and go through a hero's journey or they don't because leon she's a child and she didn't become like an ultimate badass at the end of it like she was through trauma and when you get through trauma you're still in trauma (laughs) that's true her her arc is quite something else um yeah, no, it, it, it's that's true. That's a really good and point. You acknowledge that, like, um, but I don't know. Like, I mean, I think when we discussed the movie after we watched it, like we had like the plant, the, the yeah. plant that they kept running around with this plant, and I don't. I I found that you know when she plants the plant at the end of the movie, I found like oh, finally she's grounded. Like she's she's started to have roots mm. in her life rather than before. They were just like carrying it to place to place to place. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, it it made me feel like, oh, there might be a possible outlook, but it's still going to (laughs) struggle. She still will struggle. Um, Absolutely. mm. It was a hopeful ending. Um, and it was one of those films that you could almost get a sequel, but kind of glad we don't have one. No, I don't Um, know. (laughs) And yeah, it's, it's sort of a, it's sort of a film that everybody who I know who has seen it loves it. They're just like, this is a great movie. Like Leon, The Professional, Luc Besson, Jean Renault, Namely Portman, look it up, go watch it. Don't watch it in polite company. It is an R-rated film, mm. right? Um, and you will be confronted with things for sure. Um, but I haven't met someone who has seen it who doesn't love it, right? They're not necessarily keen to talk about it on the internet, okay, because of just the lack of sophistication of discourse. Um but but it is a good film, and that is the difference between like I haven't seen there there is a film out there that has made me like really cringe uh and that was a, I haven't seen it, so you know again, this is the problem with the internet right maybe maybe this is my problem, but I doubt it because of the way it was advertised. there's a film cuties might have mentioned it I think oh. we mentioned it like where the this um like the French film. The, no, I don't. No, no, no. It's, it's it's on Netflix. It was a Netflix film, and there was a bunch of like ten-year-old girls creating a um, uh, what's it called? Some dance da- competition. Dance, dance group. And what are that? What's that form of dancing called again? Um, twerking. Twerking group. Oh, right. Oh, okay. And yeah, so Ben Shapiro made a, a review at the end where he's like, look. You know, they're actually saying that it's these things are bad, that if you watch in the context of the film, uh, it's not glorifying it. But then I... But did you, did you, did you see the ad? <laughs> well, that's the thing. The way they marketed it was like, look at these young girls twerking. And the way in which the camera shot at the, at the big dance where they're all doing all this sort of stuff... yeah. The camera went out of its way to like show the crotch and show like like it was just really gratuitous. Yeah, you could have conveyed that message the way Leon does, right? Mm. Which is that like trauma can lead to terrible things without having cameras zooming right in on like you know just just having it at a like. Mm. You know, having the story drive it. Mm. So I, I haven't seen Cuties, but it's called Cootie. Cuties, right? Like, 
Again, yeah. Like, 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 what, the, like what the hell, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, again, Liam has that... S- respects its audience and also respects Nally Portman <laughs> because she was very young and had the, had the permission of the parents as well. Oh, yeah. So we should say that when you watch the film, like her parents were heavily involved, right? Mm. So, for example, she's smoking in the, in the film and her parents put down rules. This is look, they can't be real cigarettes. She has to mm. quit by the end of the film, blah, blah, blah. So a lot of what we see in the film, yeah. her parents are a guiding part of that process. And that's an important thing to know. Yeah, um, exactly. And, again, yeah. it didn't need to have certain certain scenes for you to not understand the relationship and the dynamic and the problems mm. around the, the film. And, yeah, I feel like nowadays maybe art people who who are creating film like think the audience is dumb like, and they can't have, don't have the mental intelligence or capacity to think. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see. But it was a really interesting film, Leon, the professional, and I definitely think it was a good it's weird to be like, I'm finished on a high note because it's, it's not a film you say that on, but it is like the way it makes you feel does. <laughs> it's a solo, yes, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a feel-good tragedy. It's a feel-good tragedy, exactly. Yeah. The- um, oh, and I love that scene. We had like, he just like has the, the bomb thing and he's like, boom, boom, boom. And just- <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, yes. Yes, it's one of the great death scenes. And, um, uh, and, yeah, do go out and watch it. We won't spoil all of it, but um, but do go probably out and see did it. already. But yeah, a little, okay, a little bit, but not not too much. There's a, there's a lot that goes on there, mm. um, and also just you know at this point I'd, I'd say that Charlene has endured, and I don't know, I mean I hopefully enjoyed, not just endured, but endured what like twenty nineties films something like that um, over the course of the last four months or so, um, and. Mm-hmm. Has gone through a journey of a lot of, like, you know, the Terminator 2, uh, Silence of the Lambs. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Uh, uh, Gattaca. Oh, uh, one. Yeah, Gattaca, probably probably number one. Yeah, yeah. Gattaca's probably my favourite just because it just holds up today. Oh, and Terminator 2. It just holds up to today. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then, yeah, plenty of others as well along, along the way. Um, Independence Day. Mm-hmm. And uh, all these 90s films, um, classic 90s films of the golden age of cinema. There, there were obviously there were other golden ages as well, but that was a, one where there was a, a large and a, a short burst of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Charlene has, has gone through the whole thing. And, and I was... Now, the reason I chose Leon last... Uh, wasn't because I thought just be, like Leon was the best film, although it is a very, very good film, um, but because it, it, it's a really sophisticated film and, you know, it's not the sort of film you go, hey, like... Uh, like Casual Friday night. Casual Friday night. <laughs> you know, just with someone you don't know very well. Be like, you want to watch this? Like, people could react weirdly to it. So I was like, okay, well, you know, if I can be convinced that Charlene is, is able to... Deal with all these things, but no, absolutely crushed it. I, yeah, I, think I mean, the compliments um, of Silence of the Lambs was pretty uncomfortable already. Yes, but the difference to Silence of the Lambs is that it's iconic, right? Like, Silence of the Lambs is something that people will talk about every day, and the, those scenes with Hannibal Lecter are, are, are yeah. scenes that people c- c- just see. Then they know, yes, it is very. Um, but it's a clear villain, I guess. And it's- well, there is a lot of politics about Silence of the Lambs today. We won't get too sidetracked, but of course, because the. the bad guy not Hannibal but the actual Buffalo Bill 
serial killer is a transvestite mm. and and in the trans politics of today mm. uh is like oh my god he's being portrayed as a serial killer right mm. and so the trans lobby you know have are trying to cancel science of the lambs because of the bad guy being a trans person uh, but this is this is interesting this criticism occurred at the time to it obviously to a lesser degree because of the internet Mm. But but it occurred at the time, and the director, the writer, was saying, "Look, no, like he was rejected for transition surgery, like as a not a actual trans person, mm. someone who was trying to be something he wasn't." Um, and and this this explanation didn't go over very well, so he ended up making Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia being a movie that is, I think, one. Squillion Oscars, right? It was mm. just one of the great films of the age. Uh, Philadelphia starring Denzel Washington and Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks is a guy with AIDS, right? Mm. And this is during the AIDS epidemic when people didn't really know much about AIDS. And even today, like, I think 66% of infections are through through gay men, right? Mm. So it's still, even today, something that affects predominantly the gay community. Yeah. But um, uh, it back then had a great deal of stigma to it right? yeah because obviously because they had the ad with the with the grandma what's it called you know how they had the the guy that's in like the robe what's that what's that thing called grim reaper yeah the grim reaper there wasn't that a grim reaper ad or something there was there was and that kind of yes yeah. but there was so much stigma attached to it because it was thought that you would get it only if you're promiscuous and if you yeah. you're obviously cheating on your wife or whatever uh, and then it was, you know, for gay people, which people looked at, you know, quite harshly. Yeah. And and so here is a guy who got criticised for making a film where this pseudo trans person was a serial killer. Mm. He then goes on to make Philadelphia, one of the most celebrated pro-gay films of mm. the world history, which really attacked or took on that that prejudice head on. I think for the United States was one of the factors that changed attitudes towards homosexuality mm. in the United States and certainly towards the AIDS virus to the point where uh, George W. Bush, people criticise George W. Bush, I am his harshest critic, but he was, of all presidents in US history, and remember he's a conservative Christian, Yeah, did more to eradicate the AIDS pandemic in Africa than anyone, any other person, let alone president mm. in world history. Um, so even he, I think, was affected by this film uh, and it really changed the attitudes. Because what happens is there's uh, Tom Hanks, he's, he's a gay man and he's got AIDS and he's mm -hmm. dying of AIDS. And uh, he goes to Denzel Washington, who's a lawyer, and Denzel Washington is a conservative Christian in real life as well, right? So mm -hmm. this is a big deal that he was cast. And Denzel Washington is like got all the prejudices that yeah. you would expect you know, a conservative Christian guy to have. But Denzel Washington in real life is like, you know, was conservative, is conservative Christian, but obviously doesn't have this prejudice. And um, and uh, the relationship between those figures evolving over the course of the film is very, very touching um, and uh, really goes to to humanise this crisis. Um, yeah. So it, it did a lot to tackle that that stigma and prejudice. Um, so that's just my defence of, of the director who made Silence of the Lambs, who, who, who personally was affected by this criticism. But no, it's, I mean, people are still trying to cancel it for that reason. It's so stupid. But. And that is why we need seven recreated the way that you want it <laughs> to have that same challenge. <laughs> okay, so what she's saying there is that the, in the movie Seven, 
they drive out into the middle of nowhere for the final scene. Now, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Seven, please stop it here because this is an iconic scene. You can't watch Seven and know this is about to happen. But uh, they have John Doe. They drive out to the middle of nowhere and they open the box and, and it's the, the wife's head of one of the officers and mm. then the officer shoots him dead, right? Well, imagine that scene. But instead of going to the middle of the desert, they go to Baltimore or Harlem, someplace with lots of, like, or, yeah. or Washington, D.C., with lots of black community, right? Mm. And John Doe, instead of being Kevin Spacey, this white guy, is a black man, right? Mm. And they take him out to the middle of nowhere. Same thing happens. Like, open up the box, there's a, you know, a head in there. And then the white police officer pulls out a gun and shoots Don Doe dead in front of all these people in cold blood, right? Without the context of knowing what, what yeah. he had done to provoke it. That would be, that would be intense. That would be. That would be <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> right, we need the budget. We need the budget. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Anyway, yeah. on that happy note, <laughs> uh, I mean, we've already been talking for a while. So yeah, we have. Um, thank you so much for your support. Like, uh, these part, this past week, I've just been so happy. Like, just, like, reading the comments. I just, I think I forget that, like, people are watching. <laughs> that sounds so weird because we're, we're in a, an apartment just talking to a camera, but, like, there's actual people around the world watching. Um, and I'm so glad that, you know, we continuously try provide value to you and you and you're coming to support so thank you so much um yeah i don't know if anything else like oh yeah just the studio oh um, yeah, yeah we sorry didn't... we didn't even mention it um uh, so we've been working obviously on improving the, the proofing and, and all of this so uh this is just the first change we're still kind of working around the space that isn't in frame yeah uh but yeah we're, we're constantly improving this all the time if you have any recommendations and things we we might do differently in this this background mm -hmm. but i remember from our old studio for those that have been with us forever uh you'll recall like i just found that the echoey of the room was much more contained because i had proofing for the whole thing yeah. so basically doing the same here and obviously improving the visuals in the background so hopefully you're you're approving of that but mm -hmm. if you have any further ideas let us know and we'll, we'll chuck them in the mix yeah no for <laughs> sure and like like crispin said he's got like his phone and like we can see whether we're in focus or not so like don't know if it's gonna fail or not but we'll see <laughs> always improving all right any questions any feedback please leave them down below um otherwise stay safe and ciao for now <laughs>